Let's come on in and have a seat. We'll get started. Very pleasant good morning. Make sure everyone has a handout, the white insert of your bulletin. I hope you're remembering to write down your questions, to email those to elders at gracesharja.com. Or when I take a breath at some point during this class, raise your hand real quick, see if you can get the question in. I know sometimes we, we run out of time on these short mornings, but please, I don't want to uh, forget trying to answer those good questions that you have. We are in class number two of our series, 13-week series on Christians in the workplace. Today we're talking about the problem with work. Today we're talking about a couple of extremes, and in the weeks to come we're going to be delving further into uh, what work is and uh, some of the ways in which we are sanctified through that. Uh, But today I'm going to talk about two extremes of that. Before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want your worth and your glory to be our highest aim and our most treasured possession. We give you praise this morning. We bring you our worship. Father, help focus our minds to have no doubt that there's anything else that's capable of providing all that we need. Keep our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Father, we long for the day when Christ will be revealed, when we're changed in glory, and our toil in this life is ended and we enjoy the age to come. Father, help us work now with the mind of Christ, with our ultimate desire to please you and to spread your renown. Give us practical tools this morning to understand our sin and then die to it, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Father, give us strength to do this for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked through the story of work. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Remember, we used uh, what illustrated that as acts of a play, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4. And we saw that work was created by God, uh, given to us by God, and that was done before the fall, and he called it good. He called it very good, but in rebelling against God, we spoiled it. So this morning, we want to look more closely at how the fall has affected our work, because that's the reality. That's our lives today, working in a fallen world. Over the next three weeks, we'll focus more on practical ways to work with a new attitude as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us through our work. In spite of the fact that we experience futility and toil. Our work is not in vain if it's accomplished in the right mindset and for the right purposes. So like we talked about last week, work in a fallen world is hard. And instead of feeling the satisfaction of bringing order out of chaos, we often feel the frustration of a chaotic workplace. Instead of seeing work as part of our worship, we're tempted 
to worship our work. Why doesn't our work today look like the picture of Genesis 1 and 2? Well, the short answer is Genesis 3. Adam and Eve chose to work for themselves. They thought they could decide what they thought was best over what God thought was best. Rather than representing God by cultivating the world as God would have them, they sought their own agenda, and they wanted to use the world for their own purposes. And work has never been the same since. Work in this world can be hard. We all know it can be painful and tedious, and it can also feel futile. You mow the grass today, and it grows back tomorrow. You clean the house today, tomorrow it seems just as dirty, as if you had never cleaned it. You work hard to balance the sales account for this year. Next year, others come and they lose merchandise or misreport something that you've already closed on. Sin places a a toll on our labor. Our work is limited in what it can accomplish, how long it lasts, and the satisfaction that we derive from it. Meaninglessness, meaninglessness, vanity, vanity. That's how the Bible describes it. In Ecclesiastes 2.11, I've written this verse down in, the, in your handout. The Holy Spirit moves Solomon to write this. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. How is it that Solomon gives such a bleak picture of our labor, of his labors? Because God was communicating through Solomon a very important truth, an eternal truth, if you're willing to hear it. Anything in this world done only in this world, for this world, for our human gain only, that's defined by Solomon as what he means as under the sun meaning in this sphere of existence. It's ultimately all for nothing. Now, what's done for our glory is meaningless, but what's done for God and His glory is of eternal value and will never be destroyed. Do you recall that all the work that Christ did on the earth wasn't under the sun, S-U-N, so to speak. It was done to glorify God, which was above the sun for a purpose outside this world. So what does meaninglessness look like? What did Solomon have in mind? I think the futility and the toil of working in a sin-cursed world is meaningless when you only have this world and yourself in view. I think that what it means is in reference to under the sun means that there is this futility and toil that we experience because it's not for God anytime we're curved in on ourselves. And I think there's at least two extremes of this meaninglessness, the problems of doing work in a fallen world under the sun. First, we can make an idol of our work. And second, we can become idle at work. 
idle and idle, the twin perils of the workplace. That's our focus today. In 2009, I had just retired from 26 years of military service, and most of that time in the military, I was defined by being a pilot. I was flying airplanes and enjoying it. I loved it. I felt God's pleasure, as Eric Little would say in his running. But after I had retired, I wasn't finding any jobs, flying jobs. And so I had been looking all over. I had applied so many places, even internationally. Nothing was happening. I'd even applied to Emirates Airline, and uh, they had said no to me. And so to provide for the family, I realized I needed to get a desk job in a regular office. And that was a bit agonizing for me. I could not imagine a normal nine-to-five work schedule, pushing paper, looking at emails, staring at the cubicle walls. But looking back now, I recognize that God wasn't interested in answering my prayers the way I thought that he should. I realized this was revealing to me just how much that I had idolized flying airplanes. By giving me a job that I felt I deserved, or rather not giving me the job that I felt like I deserved, um, he gave me a job that he knew I needed to change my heart attitude about the work that I was doing and how that defined me, who I was and who I work for. Work, in my mind, was about pleasing me, which is not to say you can't have fun and enjoy your job, but at the core of your attitude, will you curse God if he provides a job for you that seems tedious? I realized that I idolized my life as a pilot because I would only feel happy about life if I had that first. But God wanted me to be happy in him first and then allow all the other things in life to prioritize after that. I think this also taught me a keener insight into Matthew 6.33, which is about anxiety and worrying about how you're going to make ends meet, but trusting in God first, seeking the kingdom first. My satisfaction priorities needed a huge shift. And so the only job God gave me was an office job. Looking at four walls, staring at a computer. And it took months for this to sink in. But you know what? It happened. I found myself waking up, happy to have work, and knowing that if I never flew an airplane again, I'd be content. I was truly learning contentment because I knew God was bigger than me. It was bigger than me being a pilot or having a particular job. And more importantly, I came to know that my identity wasn't bound up in my work. It was bound up in the work that Christ had done on the cross. Work that I would never accomplish on my own. How did this happen? Why did I experience such a profound shift in my emotions and my hopes? Why was my faith shaken? Looking back, I can see why. Because my hopes had not been rooted in God. They'd been rooted in my own circumstances, in my professional success, and my ability to control the future. 
Work had become an idol to me. My sense of well-being, my very identity as a person, was wrapped up in, in being this or that professionally. And I had felt that if it was gone, I would be devastated. And the truth was, God had to take me down to build me up. What does it mean when we say that a person has made work an idol? Does it simply mean he or she works too hard? Are you a workaholic? Is it idolatrous to enjoy what we do to find pleasure in our work? How about enjoying what we do a lot? Is it wrong to want to leave our mark on the world, as Steve Jobs puts it, to put a dent in the universe? These can be good motivations for our work, and none of them is necessarily wrong, but the trouble starts when our pursuit of enjoyment or influence or status in our work begins to make our work the source of ultimate satisfaction or meaning for us. When that happens, our work has become our God. Our hearts are attracted to the prominence of that as more valuable than God. And the Bible tells us that our hearts are more deceitful than all else. They're desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.9 says that. And we're worshipers of our very in our very nature as human beings. We will find something to bow down before, something to give our lives and our devotion to. We will worship something. We will center our lives around something. And our compulsion to worship is not a bad thing. God made us for worship. Worship is a very good thing as long as the object of our worship is worthy of that worship. So what is the right object for our worship? Only God himself. Jesus said in Luke 4.8, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Our worship should be reserved for God. He alone should command our highest devotion. And it should be around him that we center and organize our lives. When that pride of place goes to anything or anyone else, we've bowed our knees to an idol. Don't think of an idol as just a gold statue. Today we've become more sophisticated in our idolatry. Our tendency to worship things other than God is just as strong as ever. And for many people today, their passion is their job and all the things their job provides for them. Money, status, identity, pleasure, purpose. We may not be willing to admit it, but we worship our jobs. Luke 18, verses 18 through 29, tells a story. Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler. Open your Bibles to that. I didn't print the whole thing in your handout, but it might be helpful for you just to review that in your Bibles as I'm talking about it. Luke 18, verses 18 through 29. That helps us to better understand what it means to let something become an idol for us. So this rich ruler comes to Jesus to learn what is required of him to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him, and the man is excited. He excitedly says that this is exactly what his life has always looked like. He's overjoyed to hear that he has kept the law. 
But then Jesus probes the one area of his life that the young man wants to keep for himself. Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The Bible says that when the young man heard this, he became very happy. No. He became very sad. Why did he become so sad? Because he was very wealthy. And Jesus revealed the man's idol, his love for money and the security and status that it provided for him. His idol kept him from following Jesus. You see the point of the story? It gives us the clearest and simplest picture of idolatry in the entire Bible. An idol is something you desire more than you desire following Jesus. Do you make an idol of your work? It's an easy thing to make your job an idol. Our culture drives us to be successful. Success is typically defined in specific ways. Think about the conversations you have when you meet someone new. One of the first questions that you likely ask is, what do you do? At this point, the pressure is on to convince the other person that what we do is important and we're good at it. The social cues around us push us to find our identity in our jobs and the things that we do. Idolizing your work, however, is more than just a bad idea. It's a deadly spiritual danger. If your pursuit of joy and satisfaction and meaning centers on what you do and what you are accomplishing, then you'll find nothing but emptiness at the end of the road. Deep and lasting satisfaction can only be found when our worship is directed at the one who alone deserves it, Jesus Christ. What are some of the warning signs then that this is happening? And I'd like to point out just three ways in which some of the common, or the common ways we idolize our jobs. I just want you to see if any of these describe you. Number one, your work is the primary source of your satisfaction. It's easy to look for fulfillment from your work, finding your ultimate purpose in job performance and success in the workplace. For some, like what I was guilty of, is a kind of idolatry that takes the subtle form of insisting that they will do only what they were made to do and refusing to do or refusing to do well anything less than what they are passionate about. For others, this can take the form of a constant grinding frustration, a sense that their work is not completely fulfilling. For others, it's the opposite, a deep-seated self-satisfaction in what they've already accomplished. The problem is that God didn't make our jobs to do this. It's like a child getting upset about his bike because it won't fly. Well, it's not supposed to fly. The same is true of our jobs. Our jobs were never intended to carry the weight of providing us with the ultimate lasting satisfaction. And when we try to make them carry that baggage, then we will find ourselves quickly disappointed. Number two. Is your work about making a name for yourself? There's nothing inherently wrong with working hard and doing your work well. In fact, that's something God requires of us. 
The problem is in our desire to be recognized and in being good at something. That desire easily becomes an idol. We want to look good. We want people to take notice of us and praise us for our abilities. Often this shows up as a wrongly competitive mindset. We don't just want to do a good job, we want to be seen as better than anyone else. And ultimately, what we're after is our own glory. Number three, your work becomes primarily about making a difference in the world. Another way of our, our work becomes an idol is when we think that the ultimate purpose of our work is to bring some benefit to the people around us. And there is something profoundly right about that. It's okay to have a desire to improve the lives of others, to make a difference in the world. But that desire can also elevate itself into idolatry if we believe the value of our work is ultimately determined by our impact on the world. How does that look? Our work fills us with pride, and we take credit for the things our work is accomplishing, instead of recognizing these achievements as gifts from God. Making a difference or working to change the world can lead us to neglect other God-given responsibilities. We justify our neglect because we're doing something good, we're serving others. Then if our efforts don't produce the results we want to see, we get discouraged and angry. We become frustrated and think our work is simply a waste of time. Can you imagine how Isaiah felt? Or Noah? Imagine how a pastor might feel years and years of toiling and laboring, sharing the gospel, doing it as best he can, and no one is coming to salvation. So don't wrap your identity up in your results. So what's the fix for our idolatry of work? The bottom line truth of all this is that the world is simply not worth living for. God is. Now, the world claims to be worth it. It makes all kinds of promises about the good it can give us if we just burn our lives out in service to the world. But only God himself is truly worth living for. Only he can bring ultimate, lasting satisfaction. So what about you? Have you been looking too much for happiness, joy, fulfillment, or purpose in your job? Have you found yourself wanting the good that your job promises more than you desire God who gave you that job? Have you made your work an idol? If so, the solution is simple, but it's not easy. We need to repent. We need to turn from the futile and wrong ways of thinking to recognize idolatry that we have and refocus our minds on working as unto the Lord. Last week we saw that God created work to worship of Him. Your work matters mainly because of what you're doing and what that says about the God that you image. When you're creative, you image His creativity. When you're honest, you show that you trust His command not to speak falsely. When you work hard, even though no one is watching, you show off the work of sanctification that He's done in your life, secretly. In all those ways, your work is worship. Work as an idol destroys this by worshiping the wrong thing. We invest it with the wrong significance. 
When you do that, you'll find to your great joy that the goalposts suddenly stop moving if you're thinking about God. If you're worshiping God, then you never have to ask what's next. Once you ground your life in joy and satisfaction in God, there's no what's next. And we'll spend the next three weeks walking through what that looks like, specifically how we as Christians should work as under the Lord, how we have a new ultimate boss, and how we have a new goal in our work, and how we look at what, how we should find our motivation. So it might be helpful this week to take some time to think through what we've just talked about this morning. Think about that. If you have any questions right now, please raise your hand. If you're thinking of something, now is a good time to ask. But if you can't think of something right now, take the week to reflect on your own motives. See if your work has become an idol to you. Well, there's another extreme. I said idol... And now I'm going to use a a word that sounds the same, but it's the other extreme, being idle, I-D-L-E. I remember as a teenager, my dad offered me work. His job involved creating science equipment and writing textbooks. My dad was really good at that. And he would often come up with uh, one-of-a-kind, unique designs pieces of equipment or games that kids could use to teach them something about physics or chemistry or math. And if his prototypes ended up being successful, which they usually were, then he would produce a large batch of them to use in public schools. So in his workshop, he had the need for someone to do a repetitive task, like making a particular plastic molded piece a thousand times or using sandpaper to smooth out 10,000 rough-cut pieces of glass. So he enlisted me to help him. And he would pay me for a day of work. But initially, I couldn't get too excited about the job. So I would take long breaks. I'd walk out to the break room for a Coke. And I'd go up to the lab to see an exhibit taking my time, take an extra long lunch break, all of it to avoid doing the real task of what I was being paid for. I know my dad knew I was doing it. But I didn't think the tasks were fulfilling to me. Plus, my dad's expectation of what the finished product should look like and my idea of good enough wasn't the same all the time. The quality of my work didn't really mean anything to me. It was simply a means to an end, a way to get money and serve my own selfish needs and desires. So whether it was premeditated or not, I was being idle in my work. I wasn't doing enough, and I wasn't doing it the best that I could. This is another extreme in viewing work wrongly that we can fall into, being idle at work. In other words, we invest in it with no significance at all. That definition of idleness suggests that being idle can be a lot more subtle than simply not working. So exactly what is idleness? Writing to the Thessalonian believers, Paul clearly and unequivocally teaches 
that the most dramatic form of idleness, inactivity, should never mark us as Christians. The one who is unwilling to work, he writes, shall not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. That's a bracing truth and a good reminder for all of us. But the Bible warns us against more than simply doing nothing. Just because you think you're busy at work doesn't mean you're off the hook. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see what Paul is saying here? He begins with a warning against doing nothing, even if you are a slave, obey your masters in everything, he says. But also to be faithful in that work. He doesn't just stop at saying, just do it, like a Nike commercial or like a machine. He goes one step further. We're encouraged to do our work and serve others with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do your work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Strive for excellence. This should be true of us whether we receive any reward for our work or not, whether you get a good report or not, whether you get a pay raise or not, or whether anyone notices at all. Let's be honest. It's demoralizing to work for someone who does not give us credit for what we've done. Or worse, someone who only responds by offering us critical, negative, bad feedback. A bad boss can, be, can make otherwise satisfying work an absolute terror. In a situation like that, most people lose the motivation to work with excellence. After all, they might think, What's the point of working hard? No one will ever notice either way. And even if they do, I certainly won't get the credit for it. Now, that may be a reasonable response, but it's not a Christian response. Christians ought to pursue excellence in their work not because they want to impress their boss or because working hard leads to better pay, but because they work for Christ because he's always watching you. C.S. Lewis once noted how valleys undiscovered by human eyes are still filled with beautiful flowers. Who did God create that beauty for? If no human eyes would ever see it, Lewis's answer was that God does some things purely for his own pleasure. He sees even when no one else does. This perspective adds new significance to every task that believers perform. Even if they know they will never be recognized, 
They no longer require the approval of others in their work because they no longer work primarily for others. They work first for Christ, and Christ deserves your best. That passage we read in Colossians 3 is making a full frontal assault here on a mindset of idleness in our work because who we're really working for. We're working for the Lord Jesus. And no matter how busy your earthly boss may think you are, if you're not working for the Lord, you're being idle from God's perspective. How do you know when you've allowed yourself to become idle in your work? Well, here's some common ways in which people let idle thinking creep into their work. Three ways. See if any of these describe you. Your work is merely a means to an end, a place to serve your own needs. Sometimes this kind of thinking can be pretty blatant and obvious. I work, some people say, so I can play. I'm in it for the money and the things that money can buy. Now, a person who thinks like this doesn't care much about their job. They only care about the other things that their job allows them to do. Now, what's wrong with this line of thinking? Well, it ignores the fact that God has a purpose for us in work itself. Our jobs are more than just a means to an end. However menial, however unmatched to our interest, our jobs are one of the key ways that God matures us as Christians and brings glory to himself. God has a purpose for your work to sanctify you. Number two, your work totally frustrates you. Work will always carry with it some level of frustration. That's life in a fallen world. Yet sometimes we go too far with our frustration and become blind to God's aims for us in our work. Instead, the inevitable frustration that we feel with work in a fallen world, that should turn our eyes back to God and remind us of Him. It should remind us that He is ultimate and not our job, so that our work becomes a way of expressing worship to Him. Number three, another way idleness creeps in is that we become complacent in loving others. We let our work become totally separated from our Christian identity. More than a few Christians think of their work as something they have to do from 9 to 5, uh, Sunday through Thursday, so they can do the real work of being a Christian in the evenings and on the weekends. That's kind of a Christianized problem of number one. And if this describes you, read Colossians 3 again. Our work is not something we do in addition to following Christ. It's, it's an expression of our Christian faith. Did you ever think that the people that God has brought into your life at work are people that also need to see what it looks like to live for Christ, to serve Him first? They're people that when the appropriate opportunity arises, you can speak truth to them and share the good news of Christ along with living out a life of integrity and genuine care for others. Whatever you do, Paul writes, work at it with all your heart. Why? Because it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Imagine, if you will, that there's a, a guy that you see and he's, and he's showing his muscles, and on his left side, he's got really big muscles. 
And on his right side, he's just skin and bones, nothing. Like he's only been doing his workouts with his left arm. Now, if you saw that, your first thought wouldn't be, wow, that dude's really good shape. You'd be a little weirded out by seeing his, his unbalanced body. You'd think something went wrong. Yet, we make the same mistake when we allow ourselves to think of our work as merely a means to an end. When we ignore God's purposes in our work and think of it as just a job, we're pulling a spiritual equivalent of knocking out a quick set of curls and working out only one side so that we can really get to the important task of working out the other side, the other part of our lives, which aren't connected. We end up with a terrible imbalance in our spiritual life. Robust discipleship with our family and our church, but a very weak and emaciated discipleship at work. Believing that God doesn't care about our work can lead us into disobedience and sin. Christians find themselves doing things at work that they would never do anywhere else. They treat people with contempt. They lose their temper. You steal time or you steal supplies. You cut corners or you're fudging what's right and wrong. When we decide that our jobs don't really matter to God... We're less careful to keep God at the front of our minds when we're dealing with others. We find ourselves, without even realizing it, doing our work without thinking about Jesus at all. How would your work change if you began to approach your job as an arena for God's glory and your own growth and discipleship? It changes everything. Your interactions with customers and bosses and employees become opportunities to show God's love and his goodness to them. Every situation that might normally drive you to irritation and frustration, like a missed deadline, tensions in relationships with coworkers, now those become an opportunity for you to pause and to pray and to think. Okay, God. Why have you brought this situation into my life? What does he want me to learn from it? As frustrating as it is, how is this going to strengthen my faith and bring God glory? When you ask these questions, then act on them in light of what the Bible says. That's precisely what it means to fight idleness in work and to serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord. Because that's what you're doing. In conclusion, which one of these mindsets do you tend to? Making an idol or being idle? Maybe you struggle with both. You love your job, but sometimes more than you love your Savior. You want to succeed at it, but it's more than, than your desire to be faithful to God's call in your life. Maybe your biggest struggle is idleness. You have a complaining spirit versus a heart of contentment and gratitude. Maybe you swing to either extreme. Or you distance yourself from guilt from either of those convictions. Here's the bottom line. Our jobs, they matter to God. Whether you're working at home or out in the world, in the workplace somewhere, 
He created us to work. And even though frustration at work is a result of sin, God still uses our jobs to bring himself glory and to do good to others. In and through our lives as we interact with others. So don't make your job or your success your idol. And be aware of idleness. What's the solution? You have to recognize it and agree with God. Repent. Pray and ask that God would strengthen you to turn from wrong ways of thinking. Recognize idleness and idleness. And recommit yourself to God's purposes for your job. Now, as I said, we're going to spend the next three weeks thinking through more of this in detail. And if you have questions, we have just a couple of minutes before we close. Any questions? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to confess where we've been lazy. Show us our idolatry. Help us see the pitfalls. Oh, that we would see our wrong motives, that we would rely on you to replace them with motives that are good and right. Father, help us to cling to your promises and to search your word daily. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.